This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, the NetApp SAN Solutions team joins us to discuss how to accelerate your applications using NVMe over Fabric. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have several people from the SAN team to talk to us about NVMe, Fabrics, and how to accelerate your apps using those things. Uh, To do that today, I've brought along Mike Peppers, of course. So Mike, uh, tell us what you do and how to reach you. Hi, my name is Mike Peppers. I am a senior technical marketing engineer covering all things on tap blocks. Uh, you can reach me either at mpeppers at netapp.com or alternatively, uh, my Twitter handle is guy. All right. Excellent. Also with us today, Leah Pennington. Leah, what do you do at NetApp and how do we reach you? I am a solutions architect at NetApp covering mostly SAN solutions, fiber channel and iSCSI. And you don't have to limit yourself to ask me about just SAN, but that's what I primarily do. And you can reach me uh, pretty much just email or via LinkedIn. Um, Just look up Leah, L-I-A, Pennington or Leah.Pennington at netapp.com. All right. Excellent. Uh, Josh Good is here with us as well. Josh, what do you do at NetApp and how do I reach you? All right. So uh, to quote Office Space, uh, I liken myself to interacting interface between the developers and customers. Uh, like Leah, I'm a Marty. people person. Exactly, and I love Michael. <laughs> yes, but uh, Artie and Leah, and myself, are all part of the uh, San group here. Um, we kind of work on the architect side. Uh, my focus is mostly on Cisco, uh, like FlexPods, um, Cisco networking, uh, Linux, things of that nature. I come recently from Cisco itself, doing support over the last ten years. So I'm here to help. Uh, interact any questions with the uh, SAN side from NetApp to Cisco to all things Linux. And uh, as far as contact goes, do you have an email or a social handle that you want to use? Believe it or not, it's real easy. It's my name at NetApp, josh.good at netapp.com. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, But likely I also have LinkedIn, but I don't really have a big social media presence. So that's probably the easiest way is just email. All right. And last but not least, Artie Knoll is here. Artie, what do you do at NetApp and how do I reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, I'm a consultant here at NetApp. I basically, like Leah and Josh and the the team, I work with our uh, account teams and our customers to solve problems primarily around the areas of application integration uh, with block-based workloads and how they're going to start modernizing those workloads and move them to a cloud-ready architecture. Uh, you can get in touch with me at rd.noel at uh, netapp.com or uh, on Twitter at rdontap. All right, excellent. So, you know, we're going to talk about SAN and all that good stuff with NetApp. Uh, but to do that, let's just talk about the why. So, so Artie, if I'm an, uh, an application designer or a customer, why would I choose NetApp for SAN over anything else? Well, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, doing 
at one, you know, to take a step back into NetApp's history, we've been a, a SAN provider for a number of decades. And honestly, uh, one of the reasons around that has been our hallmark integrations with applications such as uh, mission-critical workloads like Microsoft Exchange or database workloads like Microsoft SQL or Oracle. Um, today, we're doing the same thing with uh, the most prevalent enterprise applications in your data center like SAP or in the healthcare space with uh, applications like Oracle and uh, uh, not Oracle, but uh, Epic and um, Cerner. Okay. It, you know, it's like a lot of people just, when they think NetApp, they think of files, right? And and that's generally what we have been for, for a while. But, you know, like you said, over the last decade or so, we've gone, you know, straight into like the enterprise SAN workloads. So, Mike, what have we done in those last 10 years that have made enterprise SAN on NetApp more of a reality? Uh, well, actually, it's going back uh, closer. It's not quite two decades at this point uh, that we've had a presence in the SAN market, uh, but we've done quite a bit. Uh, we have introduced a number of new protocols, uh, uh, most notably and recently uh, NVMe, uh, which basically give you an alternative to SCSI protocols like FC and iSCSI. Uh, we were leading provider for iSCSI. We were the uh, introducer of FCOE, uh, uh, at that point. And so basically we give you the option of picking whatever transport suits uh, your organization and the uh, estate that you have at that organization. Uh, we basically have throughout that time been a performance lead uh, in the enterprise space in terms of having the you know best performance numbers across a variety of different block uh, protocols. Uh, uh, for that time. In addition, as already mentioned, we have a lot of application integration that helps uh, not only run and host the applications uh, like Oracle and, and or uh, VMware or Epic, et cetera, but also be able to back them up because included with ONTAP, uh, you have uh, data protection in the form of things like SnapMirror, SnapVault. And by uh, integrating with the application, we're actually able to uh, do your snap vaults, snap mirrors, and be able to quiesce the application in order to make sure that anytime you did take a snapshot, that it was going to be consistent and set that up on a scheduled uh, uh, interval. Or in some cases, maybe you even want to do it uh, synchronously, where you essentially are making two copies of data and putting them in different places. Lots of flexibility. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Ray, and, and you know, I would say some of some of NetApp's core value has has really been what's led in that space, and it is things like our ability to do um, non-intrusive snapshots into the application. Right, as an Exchange admin for a number of years, um, that was actually one of the things that led me to NetApp and made me want to come to work for NetApp. Is I finally found a solution that could back up my entire Exchange estate and a recommended and my recommended backup window seamlessly, and then not only do that backup reliably, consistently, every night, I could recover it on demand without any impact to my production end users. That was huge to me as an application owner. And again, like I said, it's what actually what led me to getting more into understanding that app and digging into ONTAP and understanding why it was that those snapshots were so special. And then digging into the 
additional value that um, ONTAP brings through those application integration points like, uh, like Mike was mentioning. So it's just been a very positive story. And I, I think it's been one that we've really not made enough noise about, to be honest with you. And uh, with NVMe and the newer workloads, um, specifically around SAP, we're doing a lot in that space because it's a big player and it's where a lot of our customers are moving. The underlying piece in all this is performance and getting uh, in today's modern enterprise application. Uh, what I'm finding from my previous experience from working with the team here as well as external customers is everybody thinks of performance as a single stream, like a linear thing. But in reality, performance is mostly just the efficiency of getting the data in and out of wherever you're trying to get and utilizing things like NVMe or ONTAP and the way it's clustering works and or the way, you know, the interfaces work with the physical and logical and all the different features that we bring with ONTAP. We bring that efficiency and the efficiency by itself breeds the performance, which even for those SAN players, like Artie was saying, with SQL or Exchange or uh, SAP or Oracle, right? Um, everybody wants that data right here, right now, yesterday. Um, and uh, at least from my experience, we're giving them the ability and enabling and empowering the customer by using NetApp and using ONTAP to kind of harness that efficiency uh, to get the most out of their systems for their most mission critical system. So already, you know, you mentioned the NVMe over fabrics piece. Why is that important to the storage for the applications? I think it's important to the storage across uh, a number of axes or axes, right? Um, it, one, it, it allows us to take and start addressing this new media, right? So, you know, taking a small step back, we've seen the big shift and data centers moving away or, or moving from transitioning from spinning media, traditional hard disk drives over to SSD based drives and now more NVMe based flash media. Um, what hasn't really changed or has just started to change with NVMe is how we're addressing that media. So traditionally you were addressing those flash uh, that flash storage media that's really fast, highly performant, and doesn't really work like a spinning disk, leveraging the same SCSI command set that um, you would a traditional uh, hard disk-based array. So you were losing some of the, the, the performance there. Well, what we've done is we've gone through and extended the ability to take that capability to use that updated protocol um, that streamlined command set and increase the efficiency that applications can benefit when addressing remote storage, right? So it gives them the ability to reduce server-side processing utilization. So fewer cycles because of the reduced instruction set to send the commands out to storage. Um, so resulting in fewer and, and less CPU usage on the host. That can translate to a benefit to the customer in a couple of different ways, potentially by reduced licensing for CPU-based licensing applications, or the ability to increase the amount of work a given amount of compute is capable of doing because it can address storage faster. Those are some of just some of the big reasons. Additionally, what we've seen in some of our testing is that you can take some of your most performant database workloads 
virtualize them, and then within an NVMe fabric, still run that database more performant than you could in a traditional fiber channel-based array. I understand there's some misconceptions and myths about NVMe. Leo, what sort of things are you seeing out there that people are misunderstanding about it, and how do you clarify those things? Marty gave a great explanation of NVMe over fabrics and why it's important, but some people don't get to hear that explanation or see a nice diagram of, of it, and they, they think of NVMe and they only think of the disk, and they don't think of NVMe as a protocol or a transport um, over, or using the protocol as a transport over fabrics, and therefore... You know, they think they have to also then change up everything. They don't think they think of NVMe mostly as a back end uh, protocol. And they don't think about NVMe all the way from the host to through the fabrics such as fiber channel or TCP to the storage system. So, so trying to, you know, talk to customers about that, uh, also let them know that they don't have to make major changes in their current setup to start using NVMe over their favorite fabric it are, uh, you know, my biggest uh, challenges, but also once I talk to a customer and show some nice diagrams that helps them better understand what NVMe, NVMe can do for them. NVMe over fabrics, that is. So have you found that customers, when they hear about NVMe over fabrics, they're interested, but they're worried about disruption and worried about migration. What do you tell them then? Uh, I tell them that they can adopt NVMe non-disruptively in their current fabric, uh, usually. So especially since you you just need to enable the NVMe license on the NetApp, uh, if you have uh, your at least a generation five of brocade or Cisco switches, you can you don't have to do anything different there. And on your host, you don't you typically don't have to do anything different there. If you have some at least um, a minimum of a sixteen gig. Uh, HBA in your, or yeah, 16 gig HBA in your host, then you're, you're good to go. Right. And, and Justin, that's a pretty important thing to kind of, to note and, and, and be pretty specific around there in that, um, you know, traditional SANS for the most part have been made up of either fiber channel. In the most case, I would say the dominance uh, of your, of your SAN workloads are really fiber channel based. Um, you have, a, a number that are currently iSCSI based and leveraging Ethernet. But um, the big thing there is that in that environment, in those fiber channel ready environments, you can get over, you, you can easily migrate in place from a fiber channel fabric to NVMe based namespaces. You, you do have to do some data move, but you can implement them within the same fabric, of course, assuming they meet the correct generational requirements, HBA requirements. Um, the other side of that is also making sure that you've got uh, supported applications or uh, host bus adapters throughout the fabric. And, you know, not all 
storage vendors are implementing NVMe over fabrics in the same way. Some chose to go a different route, like um, they went NRDMA route, which they've implemented things like uh, RDMA over Rocky or um, iWarp. And that could also necessitate underlying fabric changes to support that technology. So just things to be aware of and the fact that in the way that we're addressing fabrics and the way that we're we're writing to the standard, we're trying to keep it to where it can be a very seamless, easy uplift. And we are taking future protocols into uh, into into consideration to make sure that we are doing that development to make this an easy, seamless uplift for customers. So I, I actually add, wanted to add a uh, sort of a Steve Jobsian, uh, and there's more. Uh, one of the huge benefits of NVMe, NVMe FC specifically is this is not only can you uh, coexist on the same fabric, you can coexist and can currently use exactly the same components, exactly the same ports and cables and so on. So you don't physically have to change anything at all. The only change is this is choosing that I want to use this workload with NVMe FC versus this one with FC. Uh, the zoning stays the same. Uh, you're using exactly the same ports. And literally, you've, a server could have 20 runs and 20 namespaces uh, that it is using at the same time. It is really that straightforward. Uh, one other correction. Uh, for uh, NVMe, you need either uh, Gen 5 or 6 or 7, you know, anything later than Gen 5. So 16 or 32 gig uh, fabric, but uh, for the HBA, it has to be 32 gig. It's not that you could not do it with less than 32. It's just we've never qualified anything less than that. So, Mike, what about the concept of the LUN, right? So doesn't NVMe over fiber channel or fabrics uh, namespace translate to a LUN or do we have to do some data migration there? Uh, you have to do some data migration because while both a LUN and a namespace uh, effectively are talking about the same thing, I am giving you an array of blocks uh, that I'm provisioning and handing off to an initiator. So some operating system, which in turn is going to partition, uh, lay down a, a file system and you know maintain essentially the, the, the file system on that array of blocks. We're, so we're just giving you, this is block one through 1,000. And we're doing that whether it's NVMe or whether it's a, a SCSI base like a fiber channel or iSCSI. The difference, however, is, is, is because there are differences in the protocols themselves, you're gonna have some metadata that is going to be different. Uh, so the way you would manage uh, moving from say a fiber channel one to an NVMe FC namespace, would be to actually do a uh, either host or application based where you're essentially doing a copy. Uh, we do have in plan to actually have an in-place migration utility uh, that will be coming to an ONTAP near you in the, in the not distant future. So yeah, so basically the answer to, you know, is it disruptive is kind of a dis in this depends type of thing, right? So it the, the actual conversion to NVMe over fiber channel from, you know, a SCSI protocol that part's fine. That's that's no big deal. When it comes to the actual data, if there's already data in place, then it depends on the application. So if you have a VMware data store, you can do storage vMotion, no problem. But other applications, you might need some downtime while you migrate that. 
Yeah, it, it, essentially you're doing a, a host-based copy. So you have a LUN open and a namespace open and you're copying whatever was in the LUN into the namespace. Um, however it is that you do that, which could be say a storage vMotion if we're talking about VMware, uh, could be a Windows file copy. You know, it, it, it depends on uh, what the OS is. Yeah, uh, you know, every every copy has its own method. methodologies and its own cutover process, right? So storage vMotion mm -hmm. is going to be fairly non-disruptive, but if you're trying to do a Windows-based copy, you'll probably have to take a cutover window there. Uh, yeah, I would expect so, because, you know, you, you, you essentially have two different states of data until that copy is completed. So, Leah, how many customers... Have you had customers that have made the jump from SCSI to NVMe over Fiber Channel? And can you kind of give us an idea of what their story was like? You know, how non-disruptive was it? How happy, how happy were they afterwards? Uh, I've had a couple of customers. Um, there are others who play, uh, my coworkers here, who have uh, more customers. But one customer decided to just go... Um, start off new with uh, NVMe over fiber channel and they uh, using uh, not uh, using MDS Cisco's MDS switches and they've been uh, quite happy with that so far so well, what about you Josh have you no. seen anyone has that have migrated from you know SCSI to NVMe and what sort of feedback have you gotten from them I've seen a lot more asking about it. A lot of the customers I've been dealing with are more traditional in the sense of like Oracle or SAP and very reticent, but a lot of them are interested in the performance and a lot of the testing uh, data information, all that is showing great promise. It's, it's mostly waiting for the third-party vendor to actually be able to support the underlying file system. Um, but to Leah's point earlier, um, the fact that it is breeding performance, there, there's a lot of, I want to say, inertia to move there. Uh, just yeah, I, on the system and the application that supports it. Yeah, what I'm seeing a lot, Justin, is mostly customers that are entering into testing phase. They're looking at what it's going to mean in their environment because, um, to my knowledge, the full end-to-end -end based solutions that can really take advantage of it at this point um, are fully are, are pretty narrow, right? So I would say the biggest hit would be VMware Seven. They announced when they dropped when VMware released VMware Seven, they had full NVMe over Fabric support for Fiber Channel, um, and I believe uh, our, uh, RDMA as well. Um, but their implementation, we've done a really a, a NetApp uh, validated architecture on, and through VMware, we, you can then take advantage of the underlying NVMe over Fabric infrastructure for any application you can then virtualize, right? And that's really what we show through um, through that validated architecture. We leverage VMware Seven and a full end-to-end -end NVMe Fabric. Uh, with an AFF-8800, uh, Emulex drivers, Broadcom uh, uh, fabrics, and um, we virtualized Windows Server with SQL Server, Microsoft SQL Server, on top of it. And we're basically able to show a two and a half performance increase of the database workload 
in in the testing of that um, and that increase was versus uh, the same deployment on fiber channel, right? So pure FCP on one side and then an NVMe over fabric on the other other side, same workload, same profile, and um, the NVMe based fabric was able to produce two and a half times the performance for the database workload. And what that really meant was roughly almost 800,000 IOPS at less than two milliseconds latency sustained. It's a pretty big, yeah. big number. So, so actually, yeah, okay. if I could underline that a little bit uh, more. So uh, what Artie is describing, uh, when we first entered into uh, NVMe uh, OF with market with uh, NVMe FC, uh, we started immediately working on NetApp uh, uh, verified architectures, which are essentially reference architectures for popular applications. The first one we wrote was for Oracle. We've done one for MongoDB. We've done one for Epic, which is a hospital EHR. Think of SAP for hospitals in a way. Um, we also have done one for uh, VMware, which is the one that Artie was talking about. So we set up a reference architecture. We detail exactly what that test bed looks like uh, and what the exact components are at what levels and so on. We then run load uh, and, and measure first FC and then change exactly one variable, the, the transport protocol that you're using. So we go from FC to NVMe FC and compare the two of those. And in that particular test, it, what was stunning is this is, is, is as already says, uh, two and a half times the performance. So a 250% increase in throughput. We also saw that at a cost of about 20% less latency. So, you know, it, you can do twice as, you know, two and a half times as much and you can do it uh, as fast. faster, um, you know, it's just, and also you have the possibility that you may reduce the uh, host CPU utilization, which means, uh, host licenses, or you can do more work, or you can do it with fewer servers, which also means uh, less uh, cooling, uh, less electricity, less that you need to administer in a particular server farm. And so, you know, it, these are all good things. You can find each of these NVAs if you look for them uh, 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 using Google. And they basically, these are proof points that show this is how you would set up Oracle, for instance, to use NVMeFC, and these are the advantages of doing that. Um, so as a result of that, the vast majority of our customers are in the testing and kicking tires stage, which makes a lot of sense, partially because it took a while for some of the initiators to actually catch up, to actually build uh, NVMeFC uh, or NVMeOF uh, uh, support into their operating system. Uh, the one that really democratized uh, it for us is VMware because with VMware, you can virtualize almost anything. And uh, in this particular case that, that we wrote this NBA, we were testing uh, SQL Server 2016 uh, sitting on Windows 2019 VMs, which in turn were sitting on uh, vSphere 7.0. Uh, so even with that virtualization tax, you saw a massive performance increase. I mean, to the point that you can absolutely make the argument that the best and most performant platform to run SQL Server on would be Windows virtualized inside of VMware because of the massive protocol efficiencies that you get from NVMe FC, which are so well supported with VMware. By the way, that, yeah. that NVA was written, co-written with VMware as well as uh, Broadcom. 
I was on an email thread. I think actually everybody on the on this call pretty much was on an email thread uh, today where a customer is wanting to look at and deploy NVMe over fabrics, but they also want to deploy Windows failover clustering. There are some requirements within Windows failover clustering on older legacy SCSI-based command sets that aren't present in the NVMe over fabric protocol today. So it's not really, it, they're not going to be able to look at that as a direct connection because Microsoft hasn't updated their failover clustering stack in order to support NVMe-based fabrics. Um, but a way to circumvent that is the exact solution Mike just outlined, where you virtualize that Windows cluster because VMware 7 also supports uh, shared uh, VMDKs for um, for Windows-based clustering, for Windows Server failover cluster. So again, there's a lot of benefit there that you can and start taking advantage of today, depending on your infrastructure and your, and your capabilities. Leah, did you have something to add? Uh, yeah, well, I was just gonna add that um, a lot of our MBAs um, are, are jointly done, or most of them have been jointly done with uh, Broadcom's Brocade uh, product line of switches. And I, I typically deal with uh, most of the customer, or not most, some of our customers that use the Brocade product, or Broadcom's Brocade product line and, and some of their HVAs. Um, but Josh can probably talk more about the CVDs um, or um, uh, Cisco's validated designs for for MVME with um, NetApp products, and also and and that's where both these NVAs and these CVDs, as as Peppers and Artie mentioned, are are just critical when I do um, a customer presentation. They see that there's some type of design document, whether it be with uh, our partner Brocade or our partner Cisco, and they and they're still in the testing phase. They want to test things out first. They want to see like what all do I need, and I show them that these documents are available and that they can just Google NetApp NVA or NetApp. Cisco CVD, and uh, they make a beeline to those documents so that they can, you know, see what they could do in their test lab to to set up and work with this. Especially after seeing a slide on two hundred and fifty percent, you know, latent uh, performance increase too. So, but uh, Josh, do you have anything to add about the CVDs for Cisco? Yeah, and uh, to, to, to add to your point, while some of the NVAs have been put together with Broadcom and stuff uh, for Cisco and the CVDs, there's an actual FlexPod team at Cisco and at NetApp uh, producing, I think the count right now is up to 190 or 200 different validated designs, depending on what type of architecture you want to run or what application you want, including VMware with NVMe, including uh, SQL, Exchange, Oracle, Splunk. Um, but most importantly, what these validated designs do is um, I, I liken it to customers believe it's it's going to be the Bible, but all the people putting together look at it like a physician's desk reference. In other words, uh, it was mentioned earlier that these guides are here to be a guide 
they're not here to be followed verbatim. However, if you follow some of these things, such as the best practices put within the NVA and CVD, this is what we know to be validated to get a functional test that will get you the performance you're looking for. Um, Leah, you were just talking about how, uh, well, you and Artie both about customers entering the testing phase. What I found is that from a support perspective, as well as from a testing phase into implementation, into production, by following these NVAs and CVDs, you're following the exact steps and the exact methodology that the teams, such as the FlexPod team for CVD, as well as the NVAs working with our partners, have come together to say, this is how we want to do this. Do it right. And most importantly, do it performantly to get that 250% gain, right? It's, it's a lot of little things that make the overarching design function as well as it does. Um, and the fact that, uh, what is it, Mike, 10 years now, 11 years, the FlexSpot has been together as a cohesion between Cisco and NetApp kind of yeah, drive. About 11 years. Yeah, it's it, 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 it been a big, big business uh, for both of us for that entire time. And it, it also, I think, drives the point home about the CVDs and MVAs in general in that you don't get to be into some of the largest accounts or largest areas or largest companies or enterprises without having a few things, a great product, uh, a great solution to go with it, but most importantly, a valid design or reference architecture that you can almost, you know, cookie cutter uh, to anything you need while still being customizable. And I think that's where the CVD and the NVAs come in to play the most is any part from any one of these is more than likely in a TR doc somewhere from NetApp or in a best practice white paper from Cisco or a Broadcom or VMware best practice kind of put in one place. So we don't have to worry about looking in 18 different places to get the most out of it. It's kind of all in one simple to use location that everybody from uh, the customers, different teams, like your compute team, your network team, your storage team, right? Everybody's on the same page. And that's most crucial to get your mission critical applications performance uh, happy. And then of course, operational. Yeah, to some degree, they're sort of like cliff notes for all of the, you know, for all of the references that you have at the back, uh, which are all of those TRs and best practice white papers and so on from uh, the entire, you know, set of companies that make up that particular uh, uh, design. And so it, it is a good jumping off point. Uh, it is a good proof point. It also, you know, it's a reference architecture. If you cookie cutter these out, you will get exactly this kind of performance. You also, they're typically written with enough detail that you could read these and set up, perform exactly the same tests and get exactly the same results. And it'll be interesting to see when, um, um, well, kind of, at some point when MVME over TCP is supported and to see the future of what those uh, uh, papers will look like, white papers and uh, design documents look like. And, and I look forward to that because of the advances in the protocol from a performance perspective. We, we talked earlier about you know, how, how SCSI uh, can do a lot, but imagine taking all of those SCSI commands and allowing it to parallelize. And then, by the way, we can put, you know, a 100 gig Ethernet behind it or a 64 gig fiber channel. So the parallelization and the efficiency of that transport 
as well as not having to go through four or five different controllers or devices with NVMe kind of going across, you know, the, the hardware and across the CPU itself, that efficiency is not only going to be performance just from the hardware layer, but your perception of it. I liken it to when broadband became a thing. Instead of waiting for your web browser to load, it was more like waiting for the one to five second load versus the three minutes. For those of us who were here before, you know, broadband was a big thing. And that's a game changer for businesses and, and critical applications. Being able to do that stuff in near real time or real time, that's that's going to be a key factor moving forward, I believe. Yeah, in, NVMe over TCP um, has a lot of, in my opinion, potential for the future. I, I'd keep my eye on that space. I mean, in my opinion, it's going to be the way that you can start lifting performant database workloads to cloud based storage and leverage cloud-based compute to, to basically maintain a performant DB workload in the cloud. So I, I think that's super cool stuff. And I, I'm really excited to see where where that protocol heads, but it's it's still new and in in development. So right this minute just full of possibilities and ways to, to think about how you could architect things in the future. Just but like you know what iSCSI did with by taking you know, storage protocols and moving it over to an Ethernet medium, it made it easier to adopt. It lowered the bar to adoption um, because you didn't have to have the dedicated infrastructure of the dedicated network. And NVMe over TCP provides that same capability. So Yeah, no, no added HBAs or adding in fiber channel switches. So. Well, so I would say a, a, a couple of other things that is, Basically, NVMe over TCP is going to be, it, it basically takes NVMe OF, that is front-side NVMe protocols where you're connecting uh, servers to storage um, and makes that pretty much completely portable and completely flexible. You need to have an ethernet network. It really doesn't matter much about the network. Obviously, if you provide a 10 meg switch and 10 meg NICs, it's not going to be very fast. On the other hand, if you go with 100 gig uh, NICs and switches, it'll be pretty fast, uh, but you can run it literally anywhere. The other thing to point out is, is just like with our SCSI-based protocols, like uh, uh, Fiber Channel and iSCSI, where a LUN is a LUN. It does not care what the transport is. So a LUN is not a Fiber Channel LUN. You don't have to do anything to that LUN to access it with iSCSI. You just have to change who can access it uh, by adding an IQN uh, for iSCSI to a iGroup that otherwise has WWPNs in it, for instance. Well, the same applies uh, in the case of NVMe namespaces. However it is uh, that you want to access that namespace, you can use any supported NVMe protocol. So you could you know, connect to a namespace using literally NVMe FC, as well as potentially uh, NVMe TCP or Rocky for that matter. You could even do all three at the same time. And so it makes it really flexible. And then you know, with TCP, you have ultimate portability. In the case of FC, uh, what you're gonna get is this extreme performance that is absolutely consistent. You, know, you can run at 95% of uh, wire speed forever and it just works. 
Um, on the other hand, uh, there is no fiber channel to the cloud. And some places you may not have fiber channel connecting between you know, large distances, but there's definitely TCP. So if you wanted to connect uh, uh, two sites, you know, a primary and a secondary, one's in Chicago and the other one's in uh, Houston or San Francisco, uh, over fiber channel would be troublesome. It'd be pretty troublesome to do, but you could certainly do it with uh, TCP over uh, network, maybe with a VPN. Well, and I like the fact that NVMe is a transport and your keyword there is fabric. So maybe you have something local, right? With fiber channel, but then to Artie's point, I need some stuff that's in the cloud that's still performant for that replication. Maybe I'm going across the U.S. or maybe I'm going globally. So I have multiple data centers in different areas. By offering kind of a standardization, if you will, you get to pick your poison for your local, pull it into or out of the cloud, still keep that performance, reliability, and and, uh, parallelization. But like you said, I don't need to have a million different pieces of hardware or something so specialized that I can't move away from it. It's it's honestly more adaptable. And especially in the previous year or two when you know everything is all about adaptability, that's also going to become prevalent, right? Not just the how do I get the data to me now, but how do I get it to move across platforms without losing that performance or having to re-architect every step of the way. All right, Artie, Leah, and Josh, if I was interested in finding more information about NVMe or Fiber Channel or anything else, or if I wanted to just contact somebody about it, how would I go about doing that? Well, if you're inside NetApp, um, you can engage us through the Solutions Architect engagement process inside of our internal tools. Um, That would be through a resource request for those that are familiar with it. For those that aren't within NetApp, if you're our partners, you can reach out to your partner manager. Um, You can reach out to us directly through uh, either email or our social media handles. Um, You know, Leah, Josh, how else? Go go ahead, Leah. I was just saying, yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. You know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn and then you can, uh, as I mentioned before, yeah, access me through email too. All right. Excellent. So again, if we wanted to reach you through social media, um, Leah, you mentioned LinkedIn, uh, Josh, where would we reach you? Is it email? Uh, usually for me, email is the best. Um, also via phone. Um, but I'm a little bit more old school like that, but I do a lot of work with partner enablement. So uh, it was mentioned about, you know, reaching out to your partners. There's a lot of partners that we work with that uh, through the partner engagement process, you can get to me through that as well. All right. And Artie, how would we reach you? I, again, you can reach me by email at artie.noel at netapp.com. Uh, on Twitter, at Artie Ontap. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn search me. Sometimes I post stuff. Sometimes I go out and just really congratulate Justin on stuff he posts. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, uh, you can always just ping your, your, if you, you know, your NetApp account team, if you're outside of NetApp, reach out to them. They, they can get in touch with me as well. They can link us up. I'm happy hey. to come out and try. Hey, Mike. Uh, so you can contact me uh, through uh, number one place is probably going to be through uh, account teams 
Uh, there's certainly email as well. Uh, in terms of other ways to get more information, uh, I've written a number of TRs around best practices, uh, another one defining uh, best practices for NVMe specifically. Uh, so you can look at all of those. Those also will have contact points. There literally is uh, links in the documents themselves for that. Um, and of course, there's my email and or Twitter handle. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about NVMe over Fiber Channel and how people would deign to use those things within their SAN enterprise environments. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Mike Peppers, Josh Good, Artie Noel, and Leah Pennington for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.